0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 22. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now, with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Go in the garden and you're going to see Jesus. You'll know Jesus because he'll be the one glowing do not say that. Or go in there and you'll know Jesus because he'll be the one wearing the, wearing the, the priestly robe. He's will be wearing a robe. You can't. You'll not miss this robe. Y'all notice the robes in the church nowadays? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not against the preacher's robes. You know, preachers wear robes, but I don't know. Is it just me? Are they getting a little bit ostentatious? Is it just a little? Just a little bit often. I mean, I'm talking, once I saw this one preacher, I kid you not, there was Shirley, I saw this one, he had on the robe. The thing was, it was, don't get me wrong, it was nice. I'm sure he prayed a pretty penny. But this robe was a long, flowing robe, and he had a sash going down, and it trimmed out in gold, and cut sleeves, and it was it was gold wrapped around the sleeve. And the collar went up like this, and... The collar was like, you know, just when I, I went, man, you look more like a alien than you do. A, I mean, it was kind of strange. i just looked kind of strange to me. I don't wear one. I don't need one. Honestly, this is what I wear. This is what this is me. I look nice today. <laughs> but this is what I wear. And then during the week. You know what? I don't during the week. I honestly, I don't hardly ask ask my, ask my staff, ask ask my, my my kids. I don't hardly put I put on is my my sweatpants, and that's it. I told y'all that story before. I just put on my sweat clothes, and that's it. I just don't like all that. I like comfort. I will leave this pulpit, go straight to my office, and change into my sweat clothes, and I will be in those very same clothes until next Sunday. <laughs> I just sent a little piece of information for you to take i just letting you get to know me. But I'm just not into all the robes and stuff like that. And Jesus wasn't into all the robes. You couldn't identify Jesus. Judas didn't say, hey, go in the garden and just follow the music. Because, you know, in all the Hollywood m- movies, there's music. Wherever Jesus is, there's stereo. There is. They're everywhere where Jesus goes. there's stereo. It really go in and you hear the. And it's like Jesus got bow speakers like around his head everywhere he goes. And so you see Jesus and the, the lights are right on his eyes, and his eyes are always blue. Well, that's another sermon. That couldn't be. Where are my people at? The eyes are blue i don't think so <laughs> and everywhere you know, there's the, the, the music is going, and Judas you know go listen to follow you'll, you'll know him because you'll see you'll hear the music because it's going. Ooh! Not identify Jesus, and that's why Judas had to identify him with a kiss because Jesus was so down the earth and just ordinary. And whatever happened to down the earth, ordinary preachers, where they at? Where they go? Just ordinary. Judas identified him with a kiss because the Romans didn't know who he was. Matthew chapter 26, you write that down. It tells us that Jesus said, friend, why have you come? Jesus called him friend. Interesting. And Luke is telling us, Jesus said, Judas, you, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? In other words, I think Jesus is trying to give Judas a way out. Whatever your sin you're caught up in, listen, God always offers a way out Judas, think about what you're doing. Think about it and repent, friend. In verse 49, when they saw what was happening, they said, Jesus, should we strike with a sword? And in verse 50 tells us one of them who did not ask, Peter, (laughs) struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his right ear. And just like a physician, Luke would tell us his right ear now get the scene. There are 600 soldiers here with torches and Judas kisses him. John chapter 18, Jesus looked, and you look at that in your own time. John 18, Jesus looked at the soldiers and said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, "I." John 18, I am he. Now in John 18 where it says, is anybody listening? In John 18 where it says, I am he, he is in italic. That means it was placed in the text for easy read. In the Greek language, it reads, They said, Where's Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus said, I am. Amen. Jesus said what the burning bush said when Moses asked, Who shall I send? Sent, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am. Anybody know who I am? When Jesus said to the soldiers, I am, the Bible says they all fell to the ground. Now, we've all heard people say they fell backward, and it's almost like when Jesus said, I am, the Hollywood version is when Jesus said, I am, like, "woo," and they all go, woof. and they all go backwards, and they all fall to the ground. Listen, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they drew back, or if you will, they stepped back, and then they fell to the ground. Imagine what I wouldn't give to have a DVD of this scene. 600 soldiers, 600 torches, 600 flames of fire. Where's Jesus? I am. And they all fall to the ground. And that's a lot of fire rolling around on the ground. And 600 soldiers rolling around. They're like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> douse him out, douse him out, oh, oh, oh. They probably cutting each other with a sword because it's like pandemonium at that point. Then in John 18 7, saying, Stay with me. John 18 7, Jesus asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And this time they said sheepishly, Um, what I wouldn't give to have a DVD of that one too. They said, Jesus asked again, they said, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, no. Then Jesus said, If you come for me, then let the disciples go. Now everybody's rolling on the ground. Jesus is in full control. Peter is sleeping, waking up, hearing all the commotion, takes out his sword, starts swinging, and cuts off Malchus' ear. Now get the scene. You know this that Peter is a big guy. He's a big fisherman, a giant, gnarly guy with a probably a big beard, he had been sleeping, so he wakes up, he probably has bed hair, and his, his hair is sticking out, and he grabs his sword, and some scholars actually believe that when Malchus saw Peter, and remember, Peter is huge, his hands are huge, when Malchus saw Peter, Peter just waking up groggy, looking all crazy, he looked like he was on roids or something. And he's just like, you know, uh, when Malchus saw, scholars believe when, they, when Malchus saw Peter, that Malchus turned around and started running away. And that's when Peter caught him with the sword, I think going for the head, but he clipped his ear. He cut off his ear. And Jesus, Jesus probably looked at Peter and said, Peter, you are driving me bananas. Now, that's enough. Knock it off. You got one more time. (laughs) One more time, and you're not going to write two books in the New Testament. That's it. (laughs) That's it. So Jesus goes, you know, all right, now, Peter, somebody give me the ear. Where's the ear? Where's the ear? Please, somebody grab me. Give me the ear. Get the ear, and he gives... Puts the ear back on, and we don't know. And in, in the Greek language, we don't know whether he actually put the ear on and healed the ear back onto his head, or did Jesus make another ear grow, and he just gave that Malchus his ear and said, "Hey, here, put this on your keychain." Uh, we don't know, but we do know it was the last miracle. Rec- recorded in the scriptures. Now in verses 52 and 53, go ahead and look at it. Jesus said, you come out as if I was a robber with clubs and swords. When I was in the temple with you daily, you didn't stretch forth your hand against me, but this is your hour. It's the power of darkness. Jesus is simply saying, there's no need for all this drama. I'm totally submitted to this. I've taken the cup. Now look at verse 54. Saints, if you're looking at verse 54, say amen. I want everybody to say amen. Amen. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter did what, saints? Followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter did what? Sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him because I recognize a Galilean accent. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster did what? Crowed. And the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Verse 54 begins the night of the passion of the Christ. Jesus has been arrested and taken to the house of, uh, of the high priest, Caiaphas, and then it begins a series of six trials of Jesus. The first, if you're taking notes, six trials Jesus went through, and mind you, illegal. The first, at the house of Annas. The second trial, then to Caiaphas. The third, then to the Sanhedrin in the morning. So you got Annas. Caiaphas trial, the Sanhedrin trial, from the Sanhedrin to Pilate. Pilate, wanting to get Jesus off his hands, sends him to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was so anxious to see him and question Jesus, but Jesus didn't give an answer or a word, and then he went back to Pilate. So Jesus is taken to the high priest's house, and if you went to Israel with us, is there anybody in this room that went to Israel on this last tour? You did. You remember Pam. Anybody else? You remember Pam. Yeah, Matt. Remember we were in Caiaphas' house? And we went down those steps. It was like a moment to remember. We went down these steps into this cold, dark room where they kept Jesus. And we turned out all the lights. Remember, and I had a flashlight. And I read, it's like 32 of us down in this small room that can really only hold about four or five people. And I read Psalm 88, which talks about Jesus being kept in chains for that night before, you know, his actual crucifixion. It was so powerful. I will never forget it. The lights came on and it was 32 of us down there and standing on the steps and we were all crowded in and there wasn't a dry eye. We literally walked. I remember Pam, we walked out of there silent. Not a word. This trip, 2012, we'll go there again. You should come go with us. Well, Peter followed at a distance far enough So that he's not seen, but close enough where he doesn't lose track of where they're leading Jesus. Then they kindled a fire in the courtyard and sat down and Peter sat down among them. Now note the order. First Peter's following at a distance. Now he's sitting down. Remember Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Well, listen, that sifting has begun right here. Are you listening? The sifting has begun right here because Satan has Peter right where he wants him. But the Bible says, listen, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And although Satan thinks he's sifting and destroying Peter, God is refining, rebuilding and purifying Peter. And Peter doesn't even know it. And Peter is now becoming smaller. Smaller. What you talking about Willis? Peter's becoming smaller in his own self-confidence. In his own self-reliance, in his own self-dependence, Peter boasted when he should have listened. Peter slept when he should have prayed. He fought when he should have surrendered. But after this trial, listen, in Peter's life, God is going to deflate that ego in Peter. And that's why, listen to me, contrary to popular teaching, trials are good for you. Because God allows. Remember, we talked about that tribulum, that piece of wood that goes over, and there is a, a, a purifying effect, a separating of the chaff and the wheat. God allows that tribulum to go run over your life, and those trials and those tribulations to come into your life to make you the man or the woman of God that you want to be, to answer the the prayers that you want to have answered. I'll wait. And so it is important for you to allow that process because you're like, oh, God, make me a man or woman after you. God, I want to be what you want me to be. God, I want to be more like you. Less of me and more of you. Really? Okay. God says, okay. He begins to allow trials and tribulations and fire and situations and and testings and financial problems and job loss and sickness and all kinds of things to come people to come into your life, to come against you because he's trying to work something in you, not them. We think, oh, God, work on them. God, do it. Work on them. Work on them. God, they need it. They need it. Oh, they need it. When God's saying, no, 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 you need it. You're the one praying for it. And then when God starts turning up the fire, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, partner. I wasn't thinking like that. But God's trying to change you. I hope we my people at God's trying to change you. God's trying to help you. God's trying to get rid of that which you don't need in your life so that you can be used of him. Well, in verse 56, Peter was sitting by the fire. Look at it, if you will, by the fire. And a servant girl kept checking him out. Finally, she said, I know where you're from. I know you. You are with Jesus. And Peter said, girl, please. I don't even know the man. And then in verse 58. After a little while, another saw him and said, you are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then John tells us a relative of Malchus cut that guy that got his ear cut off. A relative of Malchus said, I saw you in the garden with him. And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed. And at that time, notice the split second drama here. Listen, at that time, they bring Jesus out. And Jesus walks by and sees Peter and Peter sees Jesus and their eyes meet. And remember, Peter remembers the words that Jesus said. When he said, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. In verse 62, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why? Because I believe, listen, at that moment that Jesus walked by Peter. Are you getting this? They, they bring Jesus out and Peter is walking and they meet, they see each other at that moment that Jesus walked by Peter, Peter could see the look on Jesus face. And it wasn't a look of Peter, Peter, I told you. So it wasn't a look of disgust. Like how could you I believe it was a look of love and compassion and forgiveness on Jesus' face. And I believe that look in Jesus' eyes did two things. Number one, it changed Peter. And number two, it crushed Peter. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And the reason I believe that this event truly changed Peter is because John 21, you know the story? You read it, get to know it, it's good. John 21, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I like you. Y'all know the story. Hmm? Peter, you love me? Lord, I like you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I told you, I like you. Peter, do you really even like me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. Can I tell you something? That's a different Peter. When he said that, that's a different Peter. Because prior to his denial, Peter would have said, Jesus would have said, Peter, do you like me? And Peter would have said, yes, Lord, I like you more than them. But we're looking at a different Peter now. Because of this humbling moment in Peter's life, he's finally at the place of, Lord, I don't know anything. And saints, let me tell you something. You are reaching maturity when you get to the place where you say, Lord, I don't know nothing. God, I don't know anything. I'm dependent on you. I'm relying on you. I need wisdom. I need direction. I need guidance. I need you to direct my life. Lord, I need you to be a light to my path, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I don't know anything. When you get to that point, that's when you just took a step up. You just took a step up. Peter said, Lord, I don't know anything. And tradition tells us when Nero sentenced Peter to death by crucifixion, he had gone through so much, had grown so much at that time of, of crucifixion. Peter said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way as my Lord. So he begged them to crucify him upside down. The Bible says Peter followed the Lord at a distance. Following the Lord at a distance, listen, is the first step toward your downfall. And this is a perfect picture of a backslider. The backslider, they know that Jesus is the only way. They know their life was better with Jesus, a part of it. But Satan has slipped in and deceived them. And now they don't want to get too close. They don't want to get too far. They don't want to lose track of him. Then you find yourself warming yourself by the fires of the enemy. This is how backsliding starts, people. You start to hang out with your old friends. Oh, one beer ain't going to hurt. One shot ain't going to hurt. You start telling off-color jokes and cursing. And and then then they, 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 your friends that you hang out with, they question the existence of God. And then you start to question the existence of God. And then, believe it or not, you deny you knew him. And the one, listen, if you hear nothing else I said, listen. The person who is following Jesus afar off, the backslidden Christian is by far the most miserable person on the earth because they have tasted and they have seen that the Lord is good. They have experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They've been touched by God. They've allowed the flesh to creep in. And they are caught in the middle. They got one foot in the world and one foot in the church, which I believe is the most miserable person in the world. Because you got too much of the Lord to enjoy the world and too much of the world to enjoy the Lord. And you are stuck. Uh-huh. It's right. So what do you do, Rodney? You do like Peter did. If you're stuck, if you're backslidden, if you're away from the Lord, you run And you weep bitterly over your sin. And when you do that, God will forgive you. God will restore you. I want you to clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. God will forgive you and God will restore you. And we know that God forgave Peter and God restored Peter, coach. Because after he rose from the grave, he told the ladies to go tell the disciples, and Peter. He restored him. God will always restore you if you ask. If you don't ask, he can't do it. He won't. But if you like Peter, you just go and you weep bitterly and you get real with God for a change. Get real with yourself and you get real with God and you say, God, I'm in a bad place. God will hear you. God will reach out, and God will touch you. God will draw you out. God will make a difference in your life. God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm a witness. I know what I'm talking about. And God will bless you. God will do it for you. But you got to weep bitterly over your sin.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina.